Good morning. Greetings each of you in Jesus' name this morning. This morning I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians again. A couple weeks ago, we covered through verse 20 of chapter 5. This morning I'm going to try to finish looking at chapter 5. I'd like to, at this time, read those verses. Ephesians 5, verse 21 through the end of the chapter. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated, excuse me, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church, we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. These, uh, I'll just say at the beginning here that these verses are are fairly familiar verses to us, uh, and as I as I read and studied these verses, I was impressed with how intricately Paul weaves together. Marriage relationship and the relationship of Christ to the church. In verse 32, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I guess I, I felt that way as I studied that it's hard to unpack everything that Paul has in here. And I struggled a little to know how to. Uh, what I'll share, and 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 felt kind of a pull to go some couple of different directions. So uh, don't expect me to cover every thing in these verses because uh, it it goes pretty deep. I don't know if you 
thought about it or not, but verse 21 is somewhat of a transition verse as we look at this, this chapter in Ephesians. In fact, some Bibles have a paragraph break at verse 21. Some have a paragraph break at verse 22. And so there is a difference of thought as to which group of verses verse 21 fits in with. It can be seen as a conclusion to the verses that precede it, or it can be seen as introducing a new section. A couple weeks ago, I was intending to include it in my message, and the more I looked at it, the more I felt like that it belonged with the verses we're going to look at this morning. So I made a break uh, with, with verse 21 being, being the, the paragraph break, contrary to where my Bible has the paragraph break. So verse 21 says, Submitting yourselves to one another in fear of God. And also, almost, took this verse and had an entire message on, on submission. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's a very important subject. Where is he? Submission is essential to the Christian life. There is no way didn't hear we can be born again without submission I'd like to look at the subject of submission and why it's important and I think it lays the groundwork for following verses then submission has to do with accepting authority versus uh, Setting ourselves up as the one in charge. A good definition, good dictionary definition of submission is to yield oneself to the authority or will of another. So submission is about yielding to someone else rather than setting myself up as the one who has to have my own way or the one who is in charge, the one who's in authority. So I'd like to ask you to think about, thinking about submission, who is the foremost example, or the ultimate example maybe, of someone setting themselves up rather than yielding to authority. I'm not asking you to answer that verbally, but the answer that I would give to that is Satan. Satan has set himself up in rebellion against the authority and the will and the purposes and plan of God. He is the one that tempts us to do the same thing 
in our lives. Following after his example of rebellion. We believe that God is the supreme authority, supreme power, the universe. Why? It's because of who he is. God's omnipotent. He's all-knowing. He, he's everywhere present. He's the creator. Everything that exists, he created. So if he created it, doesn't he own it? Doesn't he deserve uh, the obedience of his creation? So he's the supreme authority and power. But yet we see in the Bible different places where God tells us that he has instituted or ordained other authorities as well that fall under him. He's done that for our good. God is God of order, and there, there needs to be a chain of command, so to speak, for there to be order in the world. But Satan, in his rebellion against God, wants us to, like he did, rebel against God and against every authority that God has instituted. For us, we have two options, two choices. Either we submit to God's authority and the authorities that he has instituted under him, or we choose to follow Satan's way of rebellion against God and against his authority. You ever, you ever think about why it seems like people that are serving Satan are still in rebellion against authority? Doesn't it seem like that if somebody was sold out to living for the world, following Satan, doesn't it seem like that they would be willing to submit to earthly authorities that have no, nothing religious about them? But yet, they, those people tend to, to be very rebellious people. And I believe that it's because even ungodly government leaders or whoever it may be, are falling under God's plan of authority for mankind. And so Satan and his rebellion leads even people who are sinful, heathen people, to continue to rebel against anything and everything that God has set up. So if we choose to rebel, we are following Satan's way. Satan's example. 
believe in the two kingdom concept that either we belong to God's kingdom or the kingdom of Satan. Either we're living for Satan's kingdom or God's kingdom. We're living for good or for evil. But I think we can also call them the kingdom of submission or the kingdom of rebellion or individualism. And as God's children, we must overcome the temptation that we all face to live with a lack of submission to God's ordained order of authority. And I underlined in my notes the temptation that we all face I think it doesn't matter who we are. I think we could look at the person that we hold up to to the highest level of of the highest standards and expectations as a Christian, somebody that we admire for their dedication to Christ. And I guarantee you, if you went to that person and asked them, they would admit that there is a ongoing, continual struggle to surrender and to submit. I think it's something that we all face, and I suspect it's something that we face as long as we live and breathe. Now, we can make it a lot easier for ourselves by learning at a young age, by practicing submission to God's ways and God's uh, order of authority. And I think that as many things are that with doing it becomes easier, but the temptation, I'm pretty convinced, will remain as long as we're in this life. To fail to submit to God's ordained order of authority, whether in the home, which is kind of what the rest of this passage is about, whether it's in the church, whether it's in society, towards our government, towards our building inspectors, towards whoever we deal with, or even towards our fellow believers within the church. Failure to submit in these areas is to accept and participate in Satan's rebellion against God. I know that's strong language, but I don't I don't see any other way to say it. If we can't submit to God ordained authority, we are accepting and participating in the rebellion of Satan himself. The only time in scripture that I know of where a lack of submission is condoned is where submitting to an earthly authority would cause Christian people to go against God's revealed will. In that case, we are called to obey God rather than man. I believe that submission must be a mark of the true believer. Verse 21 here, Ephesians 5, specifically implores us to submit to one another. And I believe that that is taking it one step further yet even than submitting to those who are in authority over us. This is talking about submitting to equals. 
there's a number of other passages in scriptures that tell us basically the same thing. I just want to read a couple. Romans 12:10 says, "Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another." And that preferring one another is to show deference or respect or esteem one another. In other words, we don't look down on our brothers and sisters. We we treat them with respect and and with esteem. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The idea here is the opposite of, of pushing for my agenda or promoting my ideas and putting myself and my ideas first. It's not that we are to acquiesce to uh, others on the issues of right and wrong, but rather that within the church we should be seeking the good and the well-being, the growth, the edification of all. Not, not, it's not just about me. It's about the church. second part of verse 21, we see that submission is out of fear of God. Fear could also be interpreted as reverence or respect. As we look at something like this and the fear of God, yes, we need to obey out of fear, out of fear of judgment. But yet, if we love God and we're serving Him, really, we do it out of respect and reverence who God is. Like I said, he, He's our creator. He owns us. He deserves our submission and our submission to others as He calls for it. Again, two ways. We can surrender to his ordained authority out of reverence and respect for God. Or we can follow Satan's way, setting ourselves up, promoting self. I believe that this submission within the church and within society sets us up for proper relations elsewhere as well. It starts with our submission to God and then it, it flows down to all other areas of relationships. In verse 22 here, Paul moves on to speak of the marriage relationship or the home. He goes on into the next chapter. In verse 22, he instructs wives to be submissive to their husbands. Again, this is part of God's ordained order of authority. We see that wives are called to submit as unto the Lord.
And then in verse 22, excuse me, 23 and 24, he uses the example of the church. He says that just as the church is under the authority of Christ, so the wife, the wives need to be under the authority of their husbands. Christ is the head of the church. And we see in this passage that Christ came, found the church. Just like I said that God is the creator of everything, so he owns everything, Christ owns the church. He's its head. He directs it. He is its supreme authority. In the same way, the church must be in submission to its head, there's no room for the church to err away from Christ's teaching. The same way the wife is called to submit to her husband. And you know, there are those through history, in current times, that have accused Paul of trying to mean women and pull them down to a lesser level under men. But I think that what we're going to see here as we move on that contrary to doing that and placing women under the tyrannical rule of, of men to be you know, the servants and the slaves of men, Paul is, is simply stating God's order, and we'll see that God's order isn't for man to, to be a tyrant over his wife. In verse 25, as we move on there, we see that contrary to placing women under the rule of men, so to speak, Paul is calling husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. I think that if we take the time to consider what this means, us husbands. That we see that we are not given the place of ruling over the wife, but really, we are given a position of being in service to our wife. In Matthew 20, Jesus gave his disciples some instructions on what leadership and authority looked like in his kingdom. This was in response to some of his disciples who were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, who was going to, in Jesus, when Jesus set up a kingdom, at that point they were thinking an earthly kingdom, but when Jesus set up a kingdom, who was going to be the greatest? Who was going to be at Jesus' right hand in his life? Jesus said this, but Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority over them. Now that's speaking of someone in authority, and they're, they're in charge. They're telling people what to do and how to do it. In verse 26 there, But it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And that term means one who serves. 
And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to read that last verse again and think about it in the context of husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We see here that Jesus came to minister, to serve, not to rule over. His mission of service to others then culminated in his willing sacrifice of his life for the good of others, so that others might live eternally. This is the example that we're called to as husbands. We're called to serve out of love, to give up self for the good of our wives and for the good of our families. The word submit isn't used here, but really that is what husbands are being called to, not to submit to their wife but to submit to what God has called us to be. To submit to God's design for leadership in the home. And the leadership of willing sacrifice. Just as Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, and gave himself as a sacrifice for the church, husbands are called to, to submit their will the will of the Heavenly Father in their homes. In light of command here in this passage for men to be self-sacrificial in their role as husbands, I find it interesting how in our society there seems to be a growing lack of this among men. We see men with hobbies that take them away from home, away from their wife and children. And I'm not saying that that is all entirely wrong and in a proper balance. But hobbies that, that, that involve the husband and not the wife and children. We have men that would rather hang out with the guys than spend an evening with their family. That made me think of with this whole pandemic situation, there's been a lot of these little themes that people send around by text and social media and stuff and very thankful that I don't have a lot of people sending me that kind of stuff because I don't really want to fill my mind with a lot of that. But I do occasionally at work have somebody say, oh, you got to see this. And early on, when it was talked to you about quarantines and, and you know, being quarantined for two weeks and stuff, 
somebody showed me this meme of this man, and, and he was being questioned. And the question was, would you choose A, being quarantined for two weeks with your wife and children, and before the speaker could go any further, the man goes, B, B, definitely B. And, and everybody laughs. But that is the state of the, of the home and the family in our society. That I'd rather do anything than spend an evening or a, a two-week quarantine with my wife and children. And, and we laugh, but yet it's sad. That is not God's plan. And we also have men who spend large amounts of time and money on themselves rather than family. And that these all kind of roll, roll together. And I thought about the prevalence these days, and now I'll step on Daryl's toes because he sells these people furniture probably, but man cave. You know, I've got to have a place where I can get away and have my stuff. Is that necessarily wrong? Maybe not. But there's a certain mindset there that I think goes against the tenor of this command. And I ask, have these trends in our society affected your thinking? my thinking as men. It's something we should ponder. Jesus' purpose in his ministry, in his sacrificial death, we see in verse 26 and 27, was to present himself a glorious, pure church, body of sanctified believers. Robert talked about sanctification that it's a process of cleansing. And as I thought about that as Robert was speaking, I thought how that we tend to uh, I'm not quite sure how to say it, but maybe we wouldn't take it real well if somebody say, well, you're just a saint. You know, somebody's a goody-goody. But if you get called, if somebody say, well, you're just a saint, say, praise the Lord. Thanks. You know, that's what we're called to. We should want to be saintly. We should want to live a, a, a sanctified life. That's what Jesus came to do, to, to create, call out that body of, of cleansed, sanctified believers. And we see in that that his purpose was not about himself. He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. He didn't come to promote himself. He came to promote his father. He came to do his father's will. In the same way in marriage, the husband is called to work for the good of his wife and family. It's about the family unit, not the husband. We also see in 
verses 28 and 29 that husband's love and care and concern for, for his wife should be equal oh, to oh. care and concern I guess I have muted him for himself. We have to take pretty good care of ourselves. Paul is telling us here that in marriage, the husband, that same level of care and concern that you have for your own well-being should should carry over to the well-being of your wife. Because, as he says, that in God's design for marriage, he has united the one, the, excuse me, the two into one. We see that in verse 30 and 31. What it says there in verse 30 and 31 reflects what we read in Genesis 2, 23 and 24, where it says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So if God has made one, care and concern should be equal. It shouldn't be just about me and my needs and my concerns and my fun. And we're called there to nourish and care for our wives as our own body, just as Christ cares for the church. It made me think of the verse in Second Peter 1, 3 that says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and God." Godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. That verse tells us that God through Christ and the Spirit has given us everything we need to know Him and to serve Him. So if we're going to love our wives in the same way, we're going to be willing to give them what they need to live and to serve us and to submit to us. He concludes his comments here on marriage relationship in verse 33 by reiterating the command for men to love their wives as themselves and the wife to reverence for husband. And that, that command to reverence or respect, I believe, is shown through the submission that he spoke of in verse 22 and 24. And that submission is based on a reverence and a respect for God and his ordained authority, his ordained order of authority. I believe that the wife's ability to reverence and respect and submit to her husband is probably uh, fairly uh, reflective of her ability to submit and respect God 
as her ultimate authority. Just as the husband's love and devotion is based on the example of Christ, I believe that the husband's care for his wife is probably somewhat of a reflection of his relationship with the Lord Jesus. So in this passage, Paul lays out the fact that the marriage relationship, as God intended it, is a representation of Christ and the church. And we need to take to heart what it says about the marriage relationship. But also, we need to not overlook the spiritual truth contained here regarding Christ and the church. And that's, that's why I struggled somewhat with this message, because I felt torn between what should be the focus. Should the focus be on Christ and the church, or should the focus be on the, the relationship of husband and wife? And I feel like you could take this passage and go, go two directions with it. But let's remember these truths. And not overlook the fact that the family unit, or as the family unit functions, according to God's plan and design, that it is a very powerful witness to the world around us of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. The state of marriage in our society is fairly deplorable. The divorce rate first-time marriages is somewhere between 40 and 50 percent. Divorce rate for second marriages is higher yet than that. Also, the definition of marriage is being changed by our society away from what God originally intended and instituted. And, you know, we can decry the downfall of society and how deplorable all these things are. But maybe, rather than going around with long faces declaring how awful things are, we need to remember and realize that in this environment, it is even more important than ever for us to display what God intended for marriage and families our lives. Our willingness to submit to God's ordained order of authority, His ordained plan for love and respect, submission in the home, as well as that love and submission in the church and society, is going to have a profound, uh, it will excuse me, it will have a profound impact on the effectiveness of the church. 
there's a saying that says, as goes the home, so goes the church. In other words, the lack of submission to this God-ordained order of authority and order of submission and how we're to love our wives, if it's not followed, it will flow over and have a negative effect on the church. If it has a negative effect on the church, it's going to make the church ineffective in our society. It's going to negatively affect the advance of God's kingdom here on this earth. So may we base our marriage relationships on God's design and on Christ's example of what he's done for the church. So that he can be honored and glorified and so that the church can be effective. We can leave a good example and a strong witness the power of God and to the goodness of his plan, his design for mankind. May God bless you. We have a song.